Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. Great, great to have you guys here. Thank you. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our very special service today. This is our All Things New offering weekend. Thank you for being here. What a great turnout we have today. And man, we're just about packed. This is amazing. Thank you guys for coming. We appreciate that. And you know, just that's the heart of our church. You guys just amaze me. I mean, here we are. All Things New Offering Weekend, and we're just about packed. That says something about the heart of our church right there. And so thank you for being here. That's incredible. Thanks, guys. Just thank you for believing in this. I want to say a special hello to all of our men behind bars as well. We love you guys. Just, just want you to know that you are just as so much a part of this as anyone else. In fact, we do receive checks from people behind bars. Did you know that? How amazing is that? It's incredible. So just thank you for your generosity too. You're just as much a part of today as anyone else. And so we're grateful for you as well. And so it's an honor just to be a part of what God's doing right now. My phone has been blown up. I brought it up with me because I keep getting texts from people uh, just that are just giving generously and just God just opening doors in their own hearts saying, I want to be a part of this. I want to get in on this. So it's really neat just to see that happening today. So towards the end of our service, we'll have our offering time. But I want to talk today about the Christmas story a little bit. I want to talk about the three wise men, also known as the Magi, also known as the three kings. So if you have your notes, pull those out if you would. I want to talk about that a little bit today. And again, thanks for being a part of our services today. I believe this is going to be a special weekend. It's already turning out to be that. And so again, thanks for coming. Thanks to all of our campuses for being a part of this. Revelation 25 says, behold, I make all things new. That's the verse that Jesus kept giving me when I was walking through a broken down building 18 hours after Hurricane Harvey had went through Rockport, Texas and destroyed it. And as I walked through the rubble, I just kept thinking, God, you make all things new. Your, your scripture says that. And so I truly believe that. And uh, we are about to make all things new in Rockport, Texas. We're very excited about that. And so as well as building a campus in San Antonio and uh, doing for refurbishing around here. And so God's really opening up some doors for all those things and more. Hey, let's say our mission statement together. First of all, what are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. We really mean that. That's not just a statement for us. It's not just a mission statement you throw on the wall, but we really try to live our lives in that way. And we try to design everything we do with that in mind. Is this gonna help us take as many people to heaven as we possibly can before we die? Everything goes under that grid. And that's one of the things that keeps our church focused on what matters the most. We want to be a lean, mean evangelism machine around here, reaching more people for Christ. And so that's really what we aim to do. I wanna look at a couple things about the three kings or the three wise men in scripture. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter two or your Bible app nowadays, that's fine too. Matthew chapter two says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea during the, the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or also known as royal astrologers from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Would you underline disturbed? He was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, that then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. Well, we know he didn't have any plans to worship him. In fact, actually Herod put an order out to kill all the firstborn male children uh, of his generation to make sure he wiped out Jesus. So he had no intention of actually worshiping Jesus. In fact, actually, Herod was an imposter. He called himself king, but he got there by brute force. He actually was not from the lineage of David, which everyone knew in Israel, all kings were supposed to be from the line of David. And so he was not from that line. 
Jesus was from the lineage of David because of Joseph and, and Mary. And because of that, Jesus was the, the rightful king of the Jews. And yet Herod pretended to be a part of the kingdom, but he really wasn't. I wonder how many people today are actually trying to build their own kingdom. How many people are busy doing their own thing, thinking I'm just going to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate and build my own little kingdom here as if we can take it with us. But building our own kingdom is a little foolish because it's kind of like Monopoly. I don't care how much you got in the end, it all goes back in the box when the game's done. So the truth is you can't take it with you. And say, so I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Haven't seen it yet. Because none of that can go with you. So you can build your kingdom all you want, but it's really all going to fall apart. It's all going to burn. It's all not going to last. So there's only one kingdom that, that really lasts. And so Herod was threatened by Jesus because it threatened the kingdom he was working on, his own kingdom. Some people, when we talk about an offering in church, you get disturbed, just like Herod got. Could it be that you're a little disturbed by that, by a preacher talking about money and churches talking about giving to missions and causes that we believe in? Could it be that you're disturbed by that because it messes with your kingdom? Because the truth is, is that you need to understand something. Would you write this down? Number one, seeking Jesus always disturbs and disrupts other kingdoms. So if you're busy building your own kingdom, it's going to disrupt that. I have some plans financially going on right now in my life. Anybody else have some plans? I got some goals I'm working on, some things I'd like to pay off, some things I'd like to save for, right? When the Lord this last week disturbed my kingdom again. I'm like, oh yeah, God, I forgot. It's not for me. It's for you. So I began to look at some things I'm trying to pay off, some things I got to take care of. And I'm like, okay, God, I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to put this towards you first and I'll just let you figure out how I'm going to pay this off. And you know, God's good like that. He already started, begun to do that. In fact, I, as I was writing the, the last check uh, towards what we're about to do today for the All Things New Offering, I looked at my account and, and no lie, I, I looked and I was like, that's not supposed to have that much money in it. What, why, what happened? And I still don't know the math yet. I haven't looked close enough and I'm like, God, I, I thought I was gonna have to hold off on this, but I'm gonna write this check to you and I can't wait to do it. I'm, glad, I'm honored to do it. But somehow this account has more than I thought in it. Thank you, God, for your goodness. And so God just does that kind of stuff. God's math just doesn't add up. Have you figured it out yet? He's going to first ask you to do things that don't add up, but then he takes care of you in ways that don't add up. That's just the way God works in my life. I'm sure he works that way in yours as well. God will just cause you and he'll disrupt and, and disturb you to do things that you maybe never thought about doing before. A girl named Abigail has been coming to our church for a long time. I say girl, she's a young woman. She's 22. She goes to our college ministry uh, very faithfully. But she, she's been a part of Church Unlimited. Actually, she's been a part of Bay Area Fellowship for a long time. And so she's been here for over 12 years. So she showed up. I said, how old were you got here? She said, I was 10 years old. So she was going to the children's church here at Church Unlimited, actually Bay Area back in the day, in the old Moose Lodge when she first started coming to church here. So she's growing up here. And uh, she, she's been working on uh, her degree. She just became a registered nurse. That's a big feat. That's a great, great role in, in society. And man, that we, you know, they get paid well as they should. She just got a new job. She's so excited. Finally going to be making career money, you know, finally. And so she, she got her first paycheck. It was supposed to be direct deposit. She said the numbers were off by one. And so they called her and said, hey, there's a problem with your direct deposit. So this week, your first check, you're going to have to come in and get your check. So she said, I, I, I wanted to go Monday. I couldn't make it. I had to go Tuesday. Tuesday night, we had this vision night up here at church. A lot of people came. We did invite everyone, so don't be offended if you didn't get invited. You did get invited. I invited everyone last week. So people were like, wait, I didn't know about it. We did invite everybody. But anyways, we, she came, and as I was talking, I mentioned how the first portion of what we were led by God to give, 
um, I, I received a check from consulting that I do on the side. Uh, normally I'm paid monthly. They decided to pay me annually, which I was surprised by that. So it was a pretty good chunk of change. And so, but I knew that if I deposit my account, it would dissipate. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Once it goes in the account, what happens to it? You're like, where'd that go? It just, it just disappeared magically, right? Yeah, I understand that too. So I thought, okay, Lord, I know I shouldn't deposit this. And I just really sense God tell me, just go ahead and just give that over. Like, okay, God, that's all yours. So rather than tithing on it, rather than give 10% of it, I just gave 100% to God, turned it over, signed the check. Well, I shared that story Tuesday night in our vision night. If you weren't here, please get our app. You can download it for free and watch it. It was a very powerful night. Well, this girl was in the, in the audience that night, and she was so convicted, so moved, that she decided to go out into the car, get her first paycheck that she's ever made as a graduate from college, turn it over and sign it over and give it to the church. What is God going to do in that 22-year-old girl's heart if she's starting her career like that? What is God going to do with her? Can we just give it up for a young woman who said, I'm going to be faithful to God? Wow. Incredible. One of the things I want to mention here is that, you know, these, are, these guys were also considered three kings. In fact, that's a term we don't see a lot in Scripture because they use the word magi, which means royal astrologer. doesn't just mean astrologer, it means royal astrologer. Royal means you're from royalty. To be from royalty, that means at some point in time in your life, you become a king of some division, some, some, uh, some kingdom of some sort or some land or territory. So they were considered kings as well. And so we know that these guys were from the, the Persia area, which is today modern-day Iran. And so we know they were from the east, basically. And so these guys came and they gave gifts to Jesus. But I think it's interesting here that they were also kings. And so when they came to meet Herod, they weren't intimidated. The reason I want to mention this is because we always talk about the fact that these three kings brought gifts to Jesus. But I want to tell you something else about these kings. They were so focused on the star above them, looking, looking at where it was leading them, that they hardly knows who they ran into. I wonder if there's something in your life right now that you're intimidated by that's in front of you like a King Herod, someone that bothers you or intimidates you or scares you because of the power that they have, because Herod was a very powerful man, but he was also half crazy. So could it be that they would have been intimidated if, if their eyes would have been on what was in front of them, but God doesn't want our eyes to be on what's in front of us. He wants our eyes to be on who's above us. Scripture says to set your mind on the things above. So they were focused on where the star was going. They follow where it led them. And then that led them to Herod. And they said, we're here to meet the king of the Jews. Do you know where that king is? They're like, well, I'm the king. Good, nice to meet you. Do you know where the king of the Jews is? Didn't even phase them to come face to face with Herod, which means we need to start thinking like kings because we are kings and queens because we are sons and daughters of the most high. We gotta start thinking differently. Now think about the problem you're facing. Now think about the situation you're dealing with. If you recognize who you are, that you're a king. Now here's the thing, you may think, hold on, but they're a king from a different kingdom. They're from the east, no one knew who they were. That's the whole point I'm trying to tell you is that no one needs to know that you're a king, but you know who you are in the kingdom. And so if you know who you are in the kingdom and you can have confidence, even if they don't recognize who you are, you know the power and the authority that you stand in because you're a son and daughter of the most high. And because of that, you should face whatever you're facing with great confidence. You know what kings do? They take over territories. Kings storm the gates. There's, there's something that God's placed in front of you that he wants you to start thinking like a king. And say, so I'm gonna take that over. Do you know that kings, when they went into another kingdom and took over that king, they would kill the king of a new kingdom that they took over. And then they would cut the cape. They would cut the, 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 the robe of that king and they would attach it to their robe. And so the longer the robe, the more territories they had taken over. 
So they would have these long, long robes, and they would have all these cuts where they added another kingdom to their robe. And so they had these really, really long robes. You know, I, Ezra says that when he went into God's temple, in a dream, he went into God's temple, and everywhere he looked was this flowing robe in every direction. He could hardly see in front of him because the entire temple was full of his robe. God is that powerful. There's not a kingdom in this world that he does not have authority over. And you have that authority in you. I bet you didn't think about the three wise men like that. These were powerful men and they knew who they were. And they came from a distant land, but they brought their authority with them. See, you're not from this kingdom. You're from another kingdom, but you bring that authority into this kingdom. And so you need to start thinking like a king. If you begin to think like a king, you can begin to function like a king. So we've got to start thinking bigger. Kingdoms, listen, kingdoms conquer. Kings take over something by force. Frankly, you're probably playing it too nice, too safe. God wants you to start to be bold because there's some kings in the kingdom here today that are supposed to be doing bigger things for God. And so these kings showed up to worship their savior. Do you know that they say that these kings were the first converts to Christianity? Because they were the first to bow the knee to Jesus. Think about that. These three kings, these three wise men or magi. You know, scripture says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are among these royal astrologers. You are among these kings. You have royalty because when Jesus adopted you into his family, when you received Christ, then you became a part of the royal lineage of Jesus and of David. And so you and I need to start functioning like the kings that we are and take authority over those grades in school. Take authority over that cancer. Take authority over that struggle. Take authority in your life and say, I have the power of Christ in me. I can overcome what is in front of me. I will no longer be intimidated. I have the greatness of God in me. God has built you for more. Look what happens next. I, I want to show you something very interesting in Scripture. I want to just back up a little bit if I can. And I want to show you some context into what these kings are about to do. They're about to bring gifts, of course, to Jesus. And we all know the Scripture where they, of course, bring their gifts. What are they bringing? Anybody know the, name, the gifts? What are they? Gold, what? Frankincense and, and myrrh. Right. Yeah, we know the story pretty well, right? We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. Before we get to that, I want to show you something. Look at Daniel chapter 5. Daniel was in Israel. He was a young man. Israel went down. Israel was taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and the people of Babylon, and they took all the temple treasury and stole it all, okay? And so you may think, who does that? Well, Hitler did it. He did the same thing. He stole treasuries uh, from all the churches all across Europe. He did the same thing. So this, Nebuchadnezzar was like a Hitler. He was just a madman. He really was. Nero was the same way. And so they just, they just stole the temple treasury. So, so that's what they did. And so now the next king after Nebuchadnezzar, a guy named Belshazzar, Daniel was also taken from the temple. They basically take all the sharpest young men of Israel and they brought them into their kingdom to train them in their ways. And so that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to indoctrinate and, and uh, basically conform them into their way of believing. But Daniel stood his ground. But in that time, Daniel saw something that just made his, his stomach turn. He saw the treasuries of God being used for all the wrong purposes. Let me read the scripture. It says in Daniel chapter five, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink them from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So they're basically throwing a big giant party and they're worshiping Dagon and Baal, which were sexual beings and, and deities. And so it was all this, it was basically an orgy drunk fest and they were using the temple, the temple cups to do this. 
You know how sickening this must have been for Daniel to watch this. You're taking what's holy and trashing it and using it for stupidity. I mean, we look at that and we think, I would never do that. I would never take the treasures of God, things that were set apart for God's house and for God's work and just party on them. You sure about that? Are you sure about that we've never done that? Because, you know, the Bible says that the first tenth of all we own is actually not ours, it's actually the Lord's. So a part of what we have is actually God's. It doesn't say bring, give it to God. It says bring it to God. It's already his. So I wonder how many times we've partied on the tithe. How many times we've played around on the tithe. Hey, you like my new dress? Thanks for my tithe about it. You like it? <laughs> you like my new car? Thanks for my tithe is paying off that car. You like it? I wonder how many times we're actually using what's rightfully God's for our own gain. And so as much as that turns our somebody to think about someone partying and worshiping idols with the things that are actually owned by God, how are we any different? We just, the idol we typically worship is ourselves rather than putting God first. Look at Psalm 72. This is interesting. So that was written, by the way, in the 6th century is when that happened. The, uh, about 1,000 BC, which is 400 years before this, this happens. Look what it says in Psalm 72. This is, this is a prophecy, by the way, about the three kings. May the kings from Tarshish and the islands bring presents. May the kings from Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings worship him. May all nations serve him. Sheba and Seba were local towns in Persia. And so it's very interesting that we have 1,000 years before Christ is born, we have a prophecy that the kings are going to be bringing back the treasuries to the true kingdom. How cool is that? Look at this next scripture in Isaiah 60. This is in the 8th century. This is 800 years before Jesus was born. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense. I mean, how specific is that? They will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. And so these are all hundreds of years apart prophecies that all come together saying that what, what the world has tried to steal from God, God is bringing back through his people to do his work. It's not about making the church rich. It's about making the kingdom rich to do his work. So more, more lives are changed, more souls are saved, more marriages are brought back together, more people are find healing and, hurt and hurts that are replaced with hope. In other words, we bring peace and love to people through Christ. That's what we're resourcing when we bring it back. You know, scripture says in Proverbs 13, 22, the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. God is using us for the great wealth transfer to take from the world and bring it back to God's house to do his work. Because the truth is, if we're not doing God's work with it, we're just going to be doing what Nebuchadnezzar did. We're just going to be spinning it on stupidity. God, has so much more for you and me to do than that. Number two, God is calling for the return of what is his to do his work. Doesn't mean God wants everything you have. No, God wants you to provide for your family. God wants you to have retirement. Of course, God wants you to take care of yourself. That's a good thing. But God doesn't want everything that we have to be for ourselves. He wants us to make sure that we honor the Lord with what we have as well. It's not all just about us. It's also about honoring the Lord. There's a guy named Stanley Joe, goes to our church. Him and his wife, Lauren, really sweet, faithful people here at Church Unlimited. Uh, they, uh, they've been faithful for a long time. In fact, they were even faithful at the Cal Island campus when we had to shut that down. They just moved over here and just stayed positive and focused and said, we know we believe in our church still. And that, that takes a lot. I, I told them, I'm impressed. That's pretty awesome that you're willing to go through that and just say, no, this is our church. We get it. Sometimes economics demand that. We understand that. We're going to stay faithful. It says a lot about them. They're very faithful people. And he texted me the other day. I love this text. He said, hey, I got to tell you this. He said, uh, Pastor Bill, you know, I was coming to one of the events you guys were doing and my wife and I, and, and I was thinking about what we're going to give. And, you know, you, you mentioned that last year we brought in about 1.1 million. We need like three times that amount now. And he said, so I just thought as a businessman that I should just give three times the amount I did, I did last year and that would be sufficient. But then the Lord began to speak to me and God gave me a number. 
So I'm assuming this number must be higher. And so he said, then God gave me a number. And I thought, that's crazy. He, says, he said, so honestly, I've been arguing with God all week. <laughs> have you guys have ever done that, right? So he's, he's been, he said, I've been arguing with God all week. He said, so then after the event the other, the other day, uh, coming home from church, my wife says to me, she says, hey, honey, um, have you thought about what we're going to give? And he said, I straight up lied to her and said, no, I haven't. <laughs> and he said, what do you think? And she said, well, you know what? I think we should do this amount. And she said, the exact amount that God had told him already that he'd been arguing over. He's like, okay, God, I get it. I know, Lord, you're telling us to do that. And so they're going to be faithful with that. I, I texted him back and I said, Stanley, let me tell you something, man. Our wives are much closer to Jesus than we are. That's how it works. <laughs> and so they're going to be faithful with God with that. And so oftentimes God will stir in you to do something bold. And when he does, it's just time to do it. There's a sweet couple that lives in Rockport that uh, have been faithful to our church for a long time as well. And uh, they just felt led. She actually, the wife just felt led by God to, to give, her name's Veronica. She, she felt led to give her car, her, her pride and joy. And so they just donated their Mazda Miata to the church. And so uh, for us to sell and use the proceeds towards building a Rockport building, they said, we'd rather see a Rockport building go up than have this little toy. And so they gave that to God. I thought, wow, that's amazing. So if anybody wants a good deal on the Mazda Miata, I can hook you up right now. So uh, <laughs> not that good of a deal. It's going to go for God. So, you know. It's neat how God works, isn't it? When you begin to say, God, everything I have, I'm going to hold loosely because I want your work to be done more than what I want for myself. And that's exactly what we've seen happening today. Last scripture I want to share with you today is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And of course, that's such a famous scripture. All of us know it from school plays growing up, right? To community plays, to being at church and hearing the scripture. Or maybe you're like me and you had your parents read you the scripture every Christmas. We would read the story and we did this with our kids to this day. We read through the, the scripture. And as we read through it, we get, get out the nativity scene. And as I say different people in the nativity scene, they put them on the, the nativity uh, set that we have. And so I have noticed that Jesus has been stolen from our house. Though, so I don't know what's going on there. I'll have to figure that out. But, you know, but they would set up the whole thing. And I had boys growing up. So my boys would like get the angels and they're like, yeah, and they come in and they beat up the, the disciples. And they, you know, I'm like, no, that's not what happens in the story at all. You know, but that's what they, they start making stuff up. And I'm like, stop, stop. This is how the story actually goes. So anyone else have ADD boys like I do? Anyone else know what I'm talking about? <laughs> guys, guys, stick to the story. So, but you know, I, I know the story well, and, but I never realized that the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh had purpose behind it. You see, gold is what you give a king. Every kingdom has gold in it. You go, to, you go to the Saudis right now, go to Saudi Arabia, the Saudi family, the royal Saudi family, they have gold everywhere. It's not a surprise. It's, that's what you see among people of royal descent. There's gold. Frankincense is something that you would give a priest because the priest would light incense. Therefore, the word frankincense, they would light incense in their prayers to God. And then myrrh was used, and it was specifically for royal families because that's what you embalmed royal people that died with. So this spoke of the prophecy of Jesus giving his life. So the gold represents the fact that he's a king. The frankincense represents the fact he's a priest. And the myrrh represents the fact that, that the prophecy that he will give his life. So this basically, that's a, prophet, a prophecy. So that means Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Isn't that cool? All found right here in the scripture. Some people say that there were three kings, but they were using that based upon the fact that there were three gifts. Others argue that there may have been up to 12 kings. We're not really sure the exact amount, but we know they're from royalty. We know they're from Persia. And we know that they brought these three precious gifts 
to God and they bowed low. They bowed their knee to Jesus and they gave from what they had. And so please check out this video. When, uh, when we decided that we needed to tithe, it was just kind of looking at life, what was going on and hearing the message and how important it is to give. And so we talked about it and I told her, I was, I think we need to do this. Like I know my husband's never gonna put us in a position that's not good for our family. So when we had discussed it, I was like, yes, like whatever we need to do. Um, but when the All Things New came about, uh, Jason and I had been doing IVF and we had lost a baby the last May. And we had still a chunk of change still left. And uh, that was even during, you know, donating to the hurricane relief, uh, buying Christmas presents for some hurricane folks. I mean, just doing all that. And even when I came to Jason, he was like, where do we have that money? And I was like, let's use our IVF money. Even though we knew that we were gonna have to use that money, it didn't matter. So when the All Things New dinner came again, the church calls, you show up. And so we went to the All Things New dinner and Pastor Dante and Haley are just explaining, you know, what they're gonna be asking for to help out the campus of Rockport and San Antonio. And I thought, you know, somebody bought our seats that we're sitting in every Sunday for Rodfield. And our life has changed so much. So we got home that night. Of course, they said, go home, pray about it, talk about what you guys are gonna do. And you know, whatever amount fits your family. And I told Jason, I said, I think we need to give the rest of our IVF money. And he said, I think so too. Even though we didn't know where we were gonna get the money for round two for treatments or anything, that just wasn't it just to be faithful and pray and God will provide. So for those three months, you didn't spend on anything extravagant. And let me tell you, <laughs> IVF is extravagant. Um, so we were faithful that Sunday, Jason came in, we wrote that lump check. We, we turned it in with joy. We're so happy to do that. I'm so thankful that my husband stepped up and said, this is what we're gonna do as a family. I got you, Timo, all the way, whatever. We say, let's do it. Now we're four months pregnant. Which way? Yeah. <laughs> Coco and Jason gave their, uh, their dream of a baby to God, and God gave them twins. <laughs> so that's the way God works, isn't it? That's how God works. What this teaches us is a really simple principle. And that's something that the wise men knew. Because when we think about gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we think, man, where did they find these gifts? What kind of store did they have to go to find these things? I mean, I don't think there was a local Nordstrom anywhere near there. I mean, how did they find these expensive, nice gifts? You know, where did they go? But these are things that kings had. These are items that they already, that they already had. A king doesn't have to go very far to find gold. It's in their house. They don't have to go very far to find frankincense, to, to find myrrh. This is, these are things they, they already own. They already have these items. And so they gave from what they had, not from what they did not have. And so scripture says in Acts 3, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have. Would you underline that? What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Many of us have heard the translation says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I offer. So what do you have? Give from that. 
Instead of focusing, well, I don't, I mean, I'm not a millionaire. Well, neither am I. I mean, but I can still give from what I do have, right? So we can start from what we do have, not from what we, we don't have. And so number three is to operate out of what you have, not what you don't have. These kings thought like kings. They operated like kings walking through another kingdom. And then guess what? They gave like kings. They gave generously like kings. And you say, well, I mean, I can't do that because I'm not giving from a royal treasury. That's the thing you don't realize. Yes, you are. Because you're part of the kingdom. And so God has a royal treasury so much larger than anything you have. And all that you have is from the Lord anyways. So when you give to God, you're just giving back what he's already given to you. You say, well, that's not true. I mean, I work hard. I'm an engineer. Well, there's engineers in other countries who don't make near them what you make just because you live here. So just because you happen to be born here, you make three, four, five, ten times what they make. Same education there that you have. Oh, you mean God just blessed me? Yep. God just blessed you. God just blessed all of us. The reason it took us long to get to church today is because we're trying to pick out which shoes we were going to wear, not if we had shoes. Which outfit are we going to wear? Not if we have an outfit. The truth is God has blessed us enormously, and we get to give from what we have. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law are missionaries in Honduras. My brother-in-law was trained as a doctor, and uh, he's a very sharp guy. He's he's a former Marine slash doctor. Very interesting combination, by the way, which means he's like, I can kill you any second I want, but I could also bring you back to life anytime you want. So so you can do both. So he's a really tough guy, great guy, um, loves the Lord with all his heart. Him and his wife are just amazing people. And uh, Jessica's mom, just whatever they did, they did something right because they raised two daughters that are unbelievable. So we, we've been really blessed. Uh, but her sisters married this guy. They have given everything they have to the mission field. So here he could be in the United States making over a million dollars a year. No problem. Wouldn't even be a hassle for him. He's trained at MD Anderson under DeBakey, one of the greatest heart surgeons in the entire world. When presidents need heart surgery, they call that guy. So my, my brother-in-law is trained under him. That kind of resume alone would put you in Mayo Clinic or any other place you want. He's from the top trainings, very sharp guy, brilliant mind, and yet he leaves all that behind to go work in Honduras in the middle of the bush, in the middle of nothing. I mean, if you saw where they lived, it'd just blow your mind. And it's not just him. He's got a wife and four kids in tow. And so, you know, we, we, we're trying to decide, do, do our kids go to private school or public school? They're, they're trying to figure out how do we do school? in the middle of Honduras. They live in a home with no air conditioning. He does surgery every single day, every body part you can imagine he's worked on. He's trained in, you know, no, no one specialist. He, he does it all because he has to, because there's no one else there to do it. So if, if you rip open your hand, he has to become a hand expert in that moment. And so he said there's many times he's got a textbook open as he's reading about the hand as he's working on it for the first time. He's just doing what he can with what God's given him. You see, he thinks like a missionary because he is one. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When it comes to giving, when it comes to church, a lot of people say this to me. They say, you know, where, where are we doing discipleship? I want to really get into discipleship. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's a cheap word to me. Let me tell you why. Because in the American culture of discipleship, when I finally say, what do you mean by that? What they finally admit to meaning is organized Bible studies. That's what they mean. They mean, I want to go to this group or that group or have 15 different Bible study choices. I'm like... So that's great. So you've been to Bible studies before. How has that made you more effective for Jesus? I'm all for the Bible and I'm all for Bible study. I teach it every single week. But I really believe we've cheapened discipleship into meaning somehow that we just learn more. That's why I really don't want to turn you into a disciple. I want to turn you into a missionary. 
A missionary doesn't learn more, they give more. A missionary doesn't have more knowledge, they have more sacrifice. And so here's my brother-in-law living on one-tenth or less, probably one-twentieth of what he could be earning in the marketplace, but he's giving his all for Jesus. So today, please do not give like a disciple. Give like a missionary. Please do not think like a disciple. Think like a missionary. Because that word is not cheap. That word's expensive. That word will cost you something. It takes great sacrifice. If I were to gather all their belongings of their entire family, you could put it in one crate because they had to. They sold everything down, gave everything away to that one, one crate. Each of their kids, if you looked at their belongings, their toys, the things they like to play with, they could all go in one small box, each. Everything they own. Our kids' Christmases will not be contained in one box, let's be honest. And everything that they play with and have, there it is. Because they're missionaries. It's what they do. It just causes you to think differently. It's really fun to have them in our lives. In fact, the, the youngest, it was really funny, he's, he's a really cute kid. He got on Sophie's bike when they were visiting us and he rode to the end of our block. We live in a little gated community and he rode to the end of the block. And when he did that, he came back and Jessica said, uh, where'd you go? And he said, oh, Aunt Jessica, I rode to the end of the village. <laughs> That's the only word he knows for that. It's just a different mentality. Let's start thinking like a missionary today. They're sacrificing, will we? They're making the kingdom happen, will we? That's the call of God in our lives today. Operate, number three, out of what you have, not what you don't have, but let's be willing to make a sacrifice today. You know, people say, how do you, Pastor, how do you make Christmas less materialistic? By this. This is how. I mean, honestly, I looked at my son the other day, Mason walked through, and I was working on this message, and in tears, I said, hey, buddy, God's been telling me to give more than I thought. And he was like, okay. I said, well, you just need to know that means Christmas is going to be pretty light this year. And he said, okay, dad, that's, that's fine. I get it. Like, thanks, man. Jesus comes first. Everything's second. The only way to make Christmas not materialistic is to not be materialistic. That's the only way to make that work. And I'm, listen, my kids are going to have gifts under the tree too. But they're going to be adjusted down a bit so we can honor God first. Let's put God first. Let's be that church. Doesn't that sound good? Let's be the church that's not just extravagant and crazy about worship. Let's be extravagant and crazy about giving. Let's be that church. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would we just take a moment to pray today? I just want to encourage you to ask God what, you'd, what he would have you do today. Maybe you're visiting with us today, and you know I, I don't apologize ever for just preaching the word, but maybe the timing you think, man, this is the first time I've been in church in a long time, and here the preacher's talking about money. I knew it's all about that. No, it just means we're disturbing your kingdom. You know it's not all about that. It's all about your heart being dedicated to God. But I make no apologies about giving faithfully to God. And you're not giving to your church, by the way. You're giving through your church. We're just going to give it away and change lives with this. what we're going to do with it. We're not building churches. We're filling heaven. I've been real clear about that from day one. It's about more people finding Christ, more marriages being brought back together, more kids coming to the Lord, bringing hope to people who are hurting. That's what it's about. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you need that hope, that hope is found in Christ alone. You can receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior right now by praying a very simple prayer. You can pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart 
I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.